and grab out something to take some notes and your Bible today. Uh, of course, we'll have all of the verses that we cover and points up here on the screen. But if you have your Bible and something to take some notes, grab that out. Or if you'd like to have a fill-in-the-blank version of the notes, you can download the VHC Church app. Uh, it's in either of the app stores, whatever you'd like to download it on and fill in the blank along with us as we go. If you hate taking notes, just take out a pen and jot some things down as we go today, all right? So it's going to be amazing together. We started this series uh, because of the season that we're in. We're calling it Out on the Water. Uh, and so I just thought Labor Day was coming up. Uh, it's kind of a time for fun in the sun, leisure activities. Uh, a lot of people in our community love to be out on the boat tomorrow. If you're watching from the boat right now, right, you're out there. And then we got into the series and we realized that all of the stories in the Bible about boats have almost nothing to do with leisure and fun, almost nothing to do with uh, exciting activities. In fact, it's all tragedy and heartache and chaos and storms. And so we're pushing through anyway. Come on, somebody. We're just pushing through. Week one, we talked about Noah and the ark and how he believed what God told him, had faith and built the ark. And then he was commended for that faith that he lived his life around. Uh, week two was last week. We talked about storms that we face in life. Paul headed to Rome uh, not to preach a crusade, right, but in chains to stand trial before Caesar. And how the ship was shipwrecked and the whole ship was lost, but God graciously saved the life of Paul and all those on board. We talked about weathering those storms. And we're going to circle back to that idea as we close out the series next week. Uh, we're going to talk about Jonah. This week, in week three though, I want to talk about storms again, but this time from a different perspective. We're going to talk about it out of Mark chapter 4. This time we find the disciples, they are in a storm with Jesus. And there's some things that happen along the way that I think can encourage us. A little bit different of a perspective than last week about storms in life. Because this week uh, is dedicated to those of you that are in a storm right now. And you're starting to lose sight of some things. So we talked a little bit last weekend about how when we go through a storm, we have to keep our focus right. We have to keep our faith in God. But there are times in storms where it's your faith itself that gets shipwrecked. There's some times where you go through that maybe they last a little longer than you ever expected. Or maybe they come across you when you weren't expecting. And there are times when your faith itself is the thing that gets shipwrecked. And it's difficult to see God in the midst of those storms. It's difficult to even see and we start to doubt and maybe doubt has crept into your life a little bit today. I want to help you with that. Verse 35 in Mark chapter 4, it says, Evening came and Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. And so they took Jesus in the boat and started out leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. You ever think about this? This is just kind of the beginning of the story. Uh, but you ever thought about like those other boats, what happened to them? As we, If you don't know the story, just hang on. Don't forget those guys. But it's just interesting to me. I love the details uh, in the Bible. Now, this is the beginning of the story, and it's a story we have studied before. It's a point I've made before, but I think here at the outset, it's important to make it again. Because the disciples make a couple of good decisions uh, here at the outset of the story. Now, as we get into it... They miss it completely, all right? They, they make all the wrong decisions. Oftentimes in their journey with Jesus, they make the wrong decisions. And I'm thankful that they do because it helps us have a lot of really good life lessons uh, to learn from these disciples. But here the Bible says Jesus gave them an instruction. We're going to cross to the other side of the lake. And he does that to us in life. Oftentimes, God will give you a dream of something to pursue. Oftentimes, in his word, he'll show you of a life that you could live. Oftentimes, he sets that standard or he gives us uh, just an encouragement or a leaning of the Holy Spirit towards something that we should do. Oftentimes, what we do in our own lives, we respond, yes, Lord, I'll go do that for you. And we jump in the boat and we row off without Jesus. 
We're like, thank you, God. This is an excellent thing that I could get done for the kingdom. That sounds amazing. And we get in the boat and we row off and we leave Jesus on the shore. Disciples made a very wise decision here. Jesus said, let's cross to the other side. And they said, yes, this is, this is great. We're going to do this. And then the disciple says, we will follow the call. And then they put Jesus in the boat. And I think too oftentimes as believers, a whole bunch of us, very first step we take, we take the boat out on the lake. And too many believers have the crowd in the boat and Jesus still on the shore. Too many times in our lives as believers following God, we say yes to the call. And then we get everybody but God in our boat. And we set out to try to accomplish whatever it is. So we step out to do something great for God. But we put our social media in the boat. We put our peer group in the boat. We put Reddit or Instagram or Facebook or Fox News or CNN. We put everybody else in the boat and we row off and we get out in the middle of the storm with Jesus on the shore. And we can't figure out why we can't possibly hear God's voice. I don't care how many people will ask me. How can I hear the voice of God in my life clearly? And I'm asking, are you in the word? Are you in there? And they're like, yeah, you know, I have my Bible. I do those things. And then I ask, what's the loudest voice in your life? What's the thing you run to every time you need advice or you need comfort or you need peace? Who is it that we, because we put everybody else in the boat. We let every type of voice, which voice? That's just my question for you on the outset. What voice is speaking the loudest in your life? What what voice has the place of prominence? Where do you run to? Because I guarantee whatever voice you run to, is the one that is influencing your life. Wherever you spend your time, whatever is influencing your decisions, we got to make sure Jesus' voice is the loudest. And if it's not, we're going to help you with that today before we go. All right, so in verse 37, a fierce storm comes up and high waves are breaking into the boat and it starts to fill with water. So they're out on the Sea of Galilee, right? Very famous in the New Testament. We hear that phrase, the Sea of Galilee. And so you're probably picturing some things in your mind of what this boat out on the sea, what it might look like in this storm. Because you think, because we are Lake Pontchartrain people, right? Come on, somebody. We are like, like we have this vision in our mind of this. You, you cross the causeway down in New Orleans, you are going to see like water for every direction. Like this ocean-esque vision. It's incredible. Like all this water, you can't see the other side. That's not the Sea of Galilee. You go look at the Sea of Galilee. It is like this unimpressive, tiny little thing. Like you can see the edge from anywhere that you are. It's like I could swim across this. Like I could just, like what is this? What all the, what's all the hubble? Like what is all this? And so experienced sailors like this, you can see any part of the shore no matter where you are at the sea. But it's amazing because around it is ringed these mountains, this kind of high hill region. And so even for experienced sailors, clouds and storms can roll up on this sea almost instantaneously. So even if they're not able to see over this, so as unimpressive as it is, this small, tiny sea can get really choppy, really dangerous, really fast. And so a storm rolls up on top of them. And so now water is coming into the boat and it's this tiny body of water and it's filling the boat with water. And then it says, and Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat. With his head on the cushion. I love details of scripture like this. That it's like, you wasn't just like Jesus was just like taking a nap or Jesus. Was, no, he's got his head on a cushion. So Jesus has like his little neck pillow. He's blown up right and put around his neck. Jesus has like his bows, noise canceling. He's like knocked out. So it's given us this image. Like, like listening to some worship, like shout to the Lord. Come on, somebody. He just, because Jesus only listens to 90s worship music. That's just the way it is. So the disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? Jesus woke up and he rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. 
So Jesus stands up in the boat. He silences the winds and the waves and there's a calm. And then he asks, he turns to his disciples. Like he makes all this good and then he turns around to them. Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? I think this is funny. And the disciples now are absolutely terrified. right? Like they were scared of the storm. Now they're just out of their minds. They've lost. lost. So they're like, who is this man? Who is this Hans? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. This idea, they, they suddenly, they've woken Jesus up. Jesus stands in the front, calms the sea and the storms and the waves. And the disciples just can't even like fathom. Even the winds and the waves obey him. And he asks them, why are you afraid? Why do you have so little faith? And so here we have this fascinating story where Jesus says, hey guys, let's go to the other side. And the disciples are like, cool, let's do it. And they make the one good decision. They put Jesus in the boat. They get out in the middle and all of a sudden life falls apart. And so do the disciples. Like they, they just completely come apart at the scene to get full of worry and full of doubt. And I think it's a pretty good picture of where some of us live, where some of us are in life. And we find ourselves in a storm. We talked about this a little last week. You're in a storm and these things can be disorienting. They can be discouraging. They can knock you off course. They have a way of draining us and blowing us out to sea. But the thing we see here is the disciples, they've said yes to Jesus. Where they are in this midst, Jesus has called them. So they've given up their lives, they've given up their ministry, their businesses, their families. Their call. They gave up all of that to follow Jesus. They're like in this thing. But they're still a little early in their ministry life. This is only Mark chapter 4. And so they've said yes to Jesus and they've seen him do some incredible things and they've seen him perform some miracles. But they're still a little early on with this guy. And so they're starting to wrestle now. Big storm. They might die. They're starting to wrestle with this idea. Is this guy really who he says he is? Because now we're in trouble. Like, is he really? And honestly, some of you may have thought this. You may never say it, but you may have thought this. Honestly, they might have been thinking like Jesus is just going to float right on out of here. He'll be safe, but it's the rest of us that are going down. And so they have to decide in their heart what they believe about who Jesus is. And he addresses this lack of faith. He looks at him and he's like, why are you so afraid? Why, why are you so, the wrestling in their hearts, do we really believe this? Is he really powerful enough to save us? And they have to deal with this. It reveals something about him that it does about all of us. Jot it down if you're taking notes. And that is that external storms reveal internal storms. I don't know if you know this in life, and oftentimes this offends us till we realize uh, that it's actually true. I don't know if you've noticed this, but external storms always reveal some things that have been going on on the inside. Disciples are having an internal battle of faith. They're wrestling with their own doubts. Is Jesus really the Messiah? Is he really who he says he was? Did he really call us to cross this thing? Is he really powerful enough to save us? We have to settle in our hearts who he is. And do we actually believe Too many times we get in the midst of a storm and we realize maybe my faith isn't as strong as I thought it was. Maybe it can't take on the water that I thought it could. Because I thought I heard his voice. I thought he made a promise to me. I thought his word was what was the final authority in my life. But now I'm a little bit unsure. These guys have seen Jesus do great things. They've seen him heal the sick. They've seen him multiply the food. They've seen him step out and do miracles. And yet it brings up this principle that a lot of us wrestle with. It's easy to believe that God does miracles. And yet it's hard to believe that God would do a miracle for us. I've seen this in people who have been saved all of their lives, who can speak a word of faith, who can stand in the midst of storms with others, and yet in the midst of their own, it's somehow so difficult for us to believe. Because yes, we would say God can open blind eyes. Yes, we would say he can heal addictions. Yes, we could say he can save somebody's soul. Yes, we could say even he can raise the dead, but it's a whole other thing to believe it would happen in our lives. 
to believe that God would care about us. It's difficult when we think, well, it's my marriage and it's my mental state and it's my kids. And yes, God can save somebody's kids, but you don't know my kids. And we say these things, it's so difficult to believe. And we think God could heal somebody's family, but pastor, you just don't know how long we've been at war. And God could step out and do something. God could touch somebody's destiny, but I just don't know if I can trust him with mine. And here are the disciples. They believe God. They believe Jesus. They have left their families, their businesses, their things. And even in the midst of the storm, they have a crisis of faith. And so we're challenged with this. Is Jesus really who he says he is? And do we really believe like we say we do? Back to our text, verse 37. It says, but soon a fierce storm came up. And high waves are breaking into the boat, and it begins to fill with water. So maybe you can identify with this. Like, I followed Jesus. I said yes to the call. I got in the boat, and then all hell broke loose. Like, my friends all left me. My kids went crazy. My marriage is on the rocks. My finances are really pinched. And what I got water. Man, I got water coming into my boat. And where is God in the midst of this? Where is he in the midst? Life is beginning to fall apart and it feels like things are getting really, really high around me. And the things that I trusted to keep me afloat are getting really, really low. And I got water in my boat and doubt is starting to grip your heart. Today is dedicated to you. If that's where you are right now, like water's coming over the side, you're looking around, everybody else is just floating peacefully and like you're bailing out. If that is you today, today's dedicated to your life. Disciples are in this midst. First thing they do is what we often do. They woke up Jesus and they said, Jesus, teacher, don't you care? They wake Jesus up and they're like, Jesus, you don't even care about us. First thing that happens when it grips our heart is we doubt his concern for us. When we start to lose sight in the middle of a storm, we start to doubt the concern because the devil gets in our ears and says, you know what, God, maybe he does love humanity, but he obviously can't stand you. He obviously doesn't care about your life because look at where you are. Devil would love to look at you in the middle of the storm and say, look at your circumstances. There's no way God cares about you. No way that God cares about what you're going through. And yet the Bible says in 1 Peter, it talks about, it says, give all of your worries and your cares to God. For he cares about you. Read this last part. For he cares about you. Read it like you can read, everybody. For he cares about you. Make it first person. He cares about me. He cares about you. He cares about your life. If you hear nothing else today, know that God actually cares about you. That he sees you. That's an incredible truth of God's word that somehow we have failed to internalize. We can say it to everybody else and all that, but we forget that God cares about me. We got to get that into our hearts, let it sink into our reality. You know, he is a loving father and he cares deeply for us. But I think sometimes the way that he leads us. The way he leads us in life and the way he leads us through his word sometimes makes us feel like he doesn't care. And the devil would love to sneak in in those moments and convince us of that. It's kind of like my kids. My daughter Hava, uh, she she has more words sometimes than people have the ability to listen to. She just, she just, God bless her, she's amazing. She's the most incredible thing in the world. Uh, she's five years old and she, I think, has a better command of the English language than I do already. Like she just can talk and talk and talk and talk. Anybody have someone in your family like that? Yeah, just, I mean, you are the person in your family. You could just, you just like to talk and talk and talk. And so sometimes, uh, my son Liam, he's in the middle. He's more of an introvert. Sometimes he wants to tell me a story. Not all the time, but sometimes. But Hava would just talk and talk and talk. So sometimes I have to be like, okay, Hava, it's Liam's turn to speak. And it does nothing. She just talks and talks and talks. And I'm like, okay, Hava, sometimes it's time to, anybody have kids? He's just like, okay, like I got to listen to your five things and then let him tell one thing. 
Anybody, your kid, just mine? Anybody, you just have that? Like, it's just amazing. You just have to do a buddy of mine told me his, his are eight and three. And so he said, they're in the car and the three-year-old's just yacht, 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 yacht. And finally he was like, buddy, I love you, but I just don't care. And he said, God, he said he had to like follow it up because it came across really harsh. And he was like, okay, I, I'm, I do love you, but I just, sometimes you have to make room in the conversation for others. Sometimes you just have to tell, right? Just make room. And he said he thought he got it across. And that night his wife was telling a story at dinner and his three-year-old was like, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. So anytime you think you are being bad at being a parent, just know there are people way worse than you. All right. Just want to encourage you. <laughs> Some of us get in the storm of life and we're kind of freaking out inappropriately. And God looks at us and he's like, look, I don't really care about that. That's not a top priority in all of the universe right now. I got you. I promise. I've got you. But there are other things that are more important right now. And we're like, but you're asleep on the job. You're not taking care of whatever it is I think you should. You're not, you're, you got your head on the pillow. Like you're not in my life right now. Well, listen to me right now. He's not asleep because he doesn't care. He's asleep because he isn't worried. Like we think about this in the storms of our life. We think, well, you're just asleep and you just don't care. And you're just too calm for this. And God's not asleep in this story especially. Jesus is not asleep because he doesn't care about what the disciples are going through. He's asleep because he knows the end of the story. He's asleep because he already knows the outcome of what this is going to be. And the disciples don't know. Too many of us get focused on the wrong thing in that moment of life. And we project onto God that somehow he doesn't care. In the midst of the storm. But Jesus even said in Matthew chapter 6. And he said, don't worry about your life. What you'll eat or drink or about your body. Then he goes on in verse 27. He says, don't worry. But can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? The disciples are freaking out. I want you to pause for a minute and think about this. Like disciples are losing their minds. Jesus doesn't care. And if Jesus doesn't care, somebody has to. You ever think about that in your life? Like you ever act like that or respond to those things? Like God's not freaking out and those people aren't freaking out. So somebody needs to be really stressed right now. Like, I don't know what's going on. If God's not going to, you go, do you ever go through spending all of that emotional, like, like expenditure of your life, like giving up your emotions and your time and your mental health. And like you expend all the, and like a few days later and like three or four ulcers later, God does move and everything works out and everything is great. You ever get to the other side of that and think, you know what? The turning point was when I got really stressed. That was the moment that everything just worked out. It was when I just let myself get really tied up in a knot. That was because I was just full of like patience and grace and like the right words to speak to the people around me in the middle of the storm. That was the moment that really, you ever get thoughts like that? Absolutely not. Jesus said, who of you can even add an hour to your day by the stress that you are heaping onto your life? And yet we think this is what is, God's not doing it. And so somebody's got to be really, really stressed right now. George is getting really upset, getting really angry. This is the life that we live because you are spending emotional expenditure you were never meant to spend because you are carrying something you were never meant to carry. And we are letting it pile onto the, our lives. In fact, jot it down this way if you're taking notes. Where you worry the most reveals where you're trusting God the least. I heard an old pastor say this one time and I got really offended. I was like, that's not true. That can't be. And the reason why it took me a week or two and I realized why I was so offended. It was because it was very true. And I had to deal with that in my own life and I'm still dealing with this. But oftentimes where we will heap up our worry the most reveals where we trust God the least worry and a stress is a sign that you have decided to be a God unto yourself. 
that you have heaped up all of the responsibilities in your life because you're saying, God doesn't have this, I've got this. God couldn't possibly handle my marriage, and so I've got to handle it. I've got to make sure. God couldn't provide for my finances because he would have done it by now, and so I've got to step in and make this thing happen. And God, no way he could love my kids, so I've got to get really, really stressed about it. Somebody needs to be stressed, absolutely, because God couldn't possibly care. So disciples are waking Jesus up, shouting, Teacher, you don't care that we're going to drown. Here's the second thing we doubt. We doubt his care, and then we start to doubt his commitment to us. So first we doubt if he cares at all, and then we start to doubt whether or not God even is committed. We're dying. Not only do you not care, but you're not even going to step in to save us, and that's your job. Again, we wouldn't say these things, but all of us have thought it. So obviously, you're just not committed to getting us where we're supposed to go. The thing that's fascinating is the disciples are speaking death over their own situation. We are going to drown. Well, the Bible tells us in James chapter 3, and we're going to revisit this, by the way, when we study James in a month or two. But he says, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. If you are struggling with your words, I just want to remind you that your tongue is a deadly evil. It is a restless evil. If you're not careful, just like the disciples, you will start speaking death over your marriage, over your kids, over your job, over your career, over your purpose. You will start speaking death left and right, thinking, I've got to carry this weight myself. And so we're going to die. We're going to drown. This ship is going down because I've got to get all stressed up about this because God obviously is not. And so I've got to carry this weight and so I've got to be God because I don't think God's doing his job. And it's a lie of the devil to trick you into self-sabotaging the purpose God has for your life. To speak death over every situation and every part of your life. You've got to put a guard over your mouth. Over the words that we are speaking. Because the devil would love to manipulate and lie to you and get you to self-tell. You realize he is a defeated foe, right? Like you understand that Jesus triumphed over him. Took away every weapon and ability. Took away the charge that was set against you. Devil does not have the final say on the outcome of your life. And yet somehow we continue to live, listen to the lie and let him manipulate. He's a defeated foe. And honestly, it's not even close. Like the battle's not even uh, like a close thing. It's kind of like the original Olympic dream team. Y'all remember that? Like, like the original one. Not like the Olympic teams of today that hate America and can't beat Europeans, right? Not those people. So this is like, like 92, 90, this is like MJ and Magic and Larry. Y'all remember that? None of you remember that. Just me. All right, that's fine. This is like, like, this is when they would step on the court and the other team would ask for their autograph before the game would start. Like, they're like, can you sign my jersey before you slaughter us? Can you just like put Michael Jordan right here across the thing? Like the rest would have to separate the teams because they just wanted autographs. Like they would, and the announcers would get in there and they'd be like, well, they're only down 47 at the end of the first. It's a tight one, everybody. It's going to be, didn't call a timeout the entire tournament. That's a fact, everybody. Didn't have to call a single. That's, that's how the enemy is defeated. That is how the battle goes in our lives. And yet somehow we still give him place. The battle was won at the cross of Calvary. Jesus triumphed over death, sin, hell, and the grave. And the battle's not even close. The Bible says that you have the victory. We are more than overcomers because the power that raised Jesus from the dead now dwells inside of us. He is a defeated foe, has no say over the outcome of our life. And yet somehow we'll still listen to a lie. And let our tongue go wild trying to lie about our situation or about our lives. And we will speak death over these things. We begin to use the deadly poison to speak death over our circuit. The disciples are like, we are going to drown. Had Jesus in the boat, we are still going to drown. Psalms 141, David says, set a guard over my mouth. David knew he couldn't fix it. 
impossible to control. It says, no one can tame the tongue. So he has, God, you'd have to help me. Watch over these words that I put over the door of my lips. But they fell for the lie of the devil, started speaking death over this situation. We're going to drown. We doubt his commitment to us. And yet scripture says in Hebrews 13, never will I leave you. God has said, never will I forsake you. You got to weigh in your mind what you're going to believe. What do you believe about God's word? What do you believe about this? Jesus promised, never would I leave you, never would I forsake you. Those words in the, in the Greek, watch this. It says the word leave and the word forsake. Watch what they mean uh, in the Greek. We're going to pull that one up there. The word forsake means to abandon or to desert, to leave helpless or to leave behind. That word leave means to relax or to loosen, to let go, to release. Jesus said, never will I let any of these things happen to you. Never am I going to abandon you. Never am I going to desert you. Never am I going to leave you. Never am I going to drop you. Never am I going to let you run out. Never am I going to let these things happen. And yet it doesn't matter what the world does around us. It does not matter what our eyes see. We have to stand on the truth of God's word. That he says, never will I leave you no matter what you're going through in life. The reason why sometimes though we doubt his commitment to us is we think about the fact that he doesn't care. We think about these things in our minds. and We make up these facts that we think are real. Because ultimately, at our core, we don't believe what he has said. We doubt his promises to us. We doubt his promises. Because he's birthed a vision in your heart. He's given you a dream to pursue. He's given you his promises in his word. Like he says to the disciples, verse 35, he listens to his disciples. He says, look, we are going to the other side. In verse 35 of Mark 4, he said, we're going to the other side. Let's cross. He didn't say, let's go out on the lake and see what happens. Like, let's just all go die tonight. What do you say? Like, this would be really fun. Let's just all go out to the middle and go straight down. That would just be something that would be amazing. No, he doesn't say. He says, let's go back. But too often times we forget what Jesus has said. We forget what he said. Psalms 145 verse 3 says, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. You rule throughout all generations. The Lord always keeps his promises. We did that in midweek with the nursery uh, a few weeks ago. That was the song where they would slam the ground with their hands and just chant. God always keeps His promises. He always keeps. He's gracious in all that he does. But the devil tries to whisper doubts in your mind. Tries to steal your sleep. Tries to come at all these moments when you are in a storm. Or the waters look like they are getting high. And he tries to speak words of doubt. About your spouse. Or about your kids. Or about your life. And you say, no, no. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We have to have God's word inside of us. The devil tries to come and steal your sleep. Tries to bring stress. You say, no, God will keep in perfect peace the one whose mind is set on him. We have to have the word of God that we can stand against anything the devil would try to lie with the purpose God has put in us. Isaiah 43, it says, but when you walk through the waters and you walk through a fire, you won't be burned. The flames won't consume you. When you go through deep waters, Bible says when you walk through, it won't be consumed. When you walk through, I'll be with you. Rivers of difficulty, I will pass through with you. We have to remember what God's word has said. Jot it down if you're taking notes. Don't doubt in the storm what Jesus told you on the shore. Don't let doubt rise up just because a storm came against whatever it is that you're doing when God has made promises in his word. Don't doubt in the storm what God has spoken on the shore. The promise he has put in your life, he will bring it to pass. Too many times we get out in the waves and the winds of life and we get totally freaked out. And we start doubting that he cares and we start doubting that he's committed and he's not going to take us. And we start doubting the promises and maybe they're true for everybody else, but there's no way they're true for my life. Don't doubt what Jesus has said. What he has promised on the shore, he will honor in the storm. God has a purpose. And I just want you to know, if there is water coming in your boat, God still has a purpose and a plan for your life. 
that he still has his hand on you. And you say, what do I do to get out of this place of worry and fear and doubt? Number one, you've got to follow the example of the disciples and you've got to run to Jesus. You've got to run to him. I told you a couple of things they did right in this story. First one is they got Jesus in the boat. Second one is when they got in the storm, they ran straight to him. They ran straight to Jesus and they put him in the boat. And then when they got in trouble, they ran. And we talked about last week. How in storms, we have one of two reactions. We either run to him or we run from him. I promise you the correct answer every time is to run to him. We've got to go find Jesus. You've got to put on some worship music. You've got to get into his word. You've got to begin to pray frequently and faithfully. You've got to begin to have this connection because God is caring and on your life. His hand is there, but too often we believe that he is so far And we're going to read this verse in Psalms to end today. But he says God is close to the brokenhearted. That God is close to those who are in need. You've got to get yourself to Jesus. You know why we pray? You know why we're weighted down when we don't run to the Lord? It's because we have been decided in our hearts that we are a God unto ourselves. So I Philippians says it this way in chapter 4. He says, don't worry about anything. But pray about everything. You know why? Because when you pray, you are acknowledging that there is a God and you are not him. You are acknowledging that there is a God. So stop stressing out your life like you are in charge because you're not. Greatest decision you ever make in your life is to resign as savior of the universe. Like lay down the mantle. Don't worry, it says, but pray. Acknowledge there's a God and you're not him. And so tell him what you need and thank him for all that he has done. You know, it is incredible how the devil can make you forget the things that God has done. Jot it down if you're taking notes. Forgetfulness is the enemy of your faith. When we forget about what God has brought us through, we forget about the things that God has done in our lives. Listen to me. God has brought you through the things he's brought you through. To take you through the thing that you're going through. To bring you to this moment. To give you faith in this day. To give you faith in the things that you are facing. God has brought you through all of these things. To grow perseverance and to grow faith in your life. That you would trust him in the middle of the storm. Because you've seen him move. You've seen him do incredible things. If we would pause for just a moment. And remember the faithfulness of God. We wouldn't struggle all that much in the present. If we would just remember what God has done. Maybe you got to keep like a faith journal. Or maybe you just got to like write down. Because it's amazing how we can cry out to God in the middle of a crisis. And then suddenly, sometime in the moment, in that timeline, God moves. And then we take credit for the outcome. We forget that we ever prayed. We're just like, it's amazing. It worked out. I don't know how it worked out. We tell people this. Like, I don't know how, but it just happened. And we, don't, we forget we prayed every day of that thing. We forget that we cried out. We forget that God had to move to make that thing happen. We just forget how God was faithful. The disciples were the worst at this. You understand this? Like they see Jesus feed 5,000 with a few loaves and a couple of fish. Like he just like multiplies. It's this amazing miracle. And then like a few weeks later, there's 4,000 that can't eat. And the disciples start freaking out like we're going to die. Like they saw him feed more people. They, they weren't like, hey, Jesus, can you do the bread and fish thing again? That would be really cool. Like if you could just like do that. No, they're like, we're hungry and we're going to die. And there's water and there's things and everybody. And Jesus is like, come on. Like what is this? We've seen him move. I've walked with some of you through some of the greatest miracles and think we've seen God move. And yet we forget in the storm the faithfulness of our God. He says you've got to thank him for all that he's remind him. Remind yourself of the faithfulness and the goodness of God. And then there's an exchange that takes place. It says, and then you'll have his peace. As you live in Christ Jesus, his peace will guard your hearts in your mind, you can't have God's peace without God's presence. And you can't have God's presence if you are pretending to be God. 
If you are the God of your life and you're pretending to be in charge of everything, I promise you won't have God's presence and you won't have his peace. So a lot of us live without peace in our lives because we are a God unto ourselves. And we forego it and we resign ourselves from being the God of the universe. We give him the place he deserves. We thank him for what he's done. We run to him in these moments, everything that we're wrestling with. And he gives us a peace that passes understanding. It guards your mind, it starts to guard your emotions, it guards your thoughts. You run to him when you get stressed in moments like that. You turn on some worship music, you get in his word, you remember the promises of God, what he told you on the shore, he will honor in the storm. It's just in his own timing, and that's number two. We have to trust him. We run to him, and then we have to trust. Because sometimes it is tough to trust him, because we have plans for our own lives. So when we run to him in prayer, oftentimes we're not praying, God, let your kingdom come and God, let your will be done. And God, let your timing and your plans and your perfect will. No, we are praying, God, I got a plan for my life and I need you to activate it. God, activate the things I have. God, activate my plan. I need you to do this for me. I'm not able to do it. So if you could just sweep on in and do what I am planning. But that's not how it works. And we have to resign ourselves to the fact that God has a plan that is better than ours. We have to trust him. I love this thought. We'll close with this in verse 39. It says, when Jesus woke up. I love the details of scriptures. It says, when he woke up. So the disciples are running to him. And they're like, hey, we're all going to die. There's water coming in the boat. Why don't you care? And the Bible doesn't say, and Jesus, like a torpedo, Jesus ran to the front of the boat. And like jumped up on the front and like said, peace be still. Just leads me to my holy imagination. Now you can toss this all out, all right? Because this is just me. You can throw this all away. This is my holy imagination, all right? But I just wonder how long it took. Like I wonder just, I wonder like, why didn't the Bible say right then Jesus jumped? And because it says when he woke up, which is kind of leads Because I'm kind of thinking Jesus is in a really deep sleep right here. Because not even the great storm and the waves, not even that can wake him out of whatever sleep he's in. You have anybody in your family like that that's just like a deep sleeper? Anybody just like you cannot for the life of you? Like if your life depended on it, they're not waking up. Like you could just like shake. Because I got a couple of my kids like you can like, like barely tap their shoulder and say like, okay, it's time to get up or it's time for church or it's time to go. Whatever. And like two minutes later, they're bathed, teeth brushed, telling jokes. They're just like excited about life. But then one of them, like you got to put your hand like under his nose. Like, is he breathing? Like, is he still? Because like you can like shake him. And like I was carrying him to his bed the other night and I'm a great father. I'm just crushing parenting. I slammed his arm against the door by accident. Nothing, just completely out, just not a thing. So I love this idea. When Jesus woke, because I got, I just in my mind, I see this. I was like, we're going to die. I feel Jesus like, okay, just calm down. Like, okay, you're going to die. Whatever. Just, you'll be okay. Like, just fine. Okay, there's a storm. What is it? What'd you wake? What is, what's this? It's just my holy imagination. I just like that thing. Because they come to Jesus and they're like, we're dying. We're going to do. When finally he woke up, I don't know how long it took. He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped to the waves. We're calm. There's a moment where God says enough, okay, and everything will turn. There's a moment in his timing, in his plan, when he says, okay, that's enough, and everything will turn. But do we have the faith to trust him in the middle of the storm? To trust him in the middle, because our timing is not his timing. And sometimes we don't see the world through his lens. Sometimes we don't see it. When God is ready, he moves. At just the right time, Jesus came and gave his life for the sins of the world. At just the right time, God's plan works out. At just the right time, his ways are perfect. At just the right time. But we've got to resign ourselves to the fact that we are not God. That our ways are not his ways, but his ways are perfect and his timing is perfect. Psalms 34, it says, The Lord hears his people 
when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all of their trouble. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what you're going through, but I'm willing to bet there are some people here today watching online. There are people who have some water in the boat. You got some water coming over the sides and you're looking around thinking everybody else's boat is fine. But I got water and the devil's in your ear saying God doesn't care and God couldn't love and God couldn't possibly be committed. And God doesn't have pride. He'd love to get in your ear today. And I promise you it is a lie from the pit of hell that God loves you. That God cares for you. The devil would love to lie to you. But I want you to hear this today. God loves you more than you could possibly imagine. Hear this in your mind today. God loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And just at the right time, he'll step in. He's never left you and he's never forsaken you. At just the right moment, God will move. At just the right moment, God is close to the brokenhearted. If you are grieving today, if you are crying out to him, if you're carrying a heavy load, you need to make the exchange. It says, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. He loves you. Every head bowed, every eye closed today. I want to pray that God would strengthen your faith. That you'd have peace in the midst of the storm. Peace that passes anything that you could possibly understand. I want to pray that he would be with us in the middle of it. But first, I wonder how many of you are here today and you set out in the boat of life and you've left Jesus on the shore. It's an incredibly dark place to be when you're caught in a storm and Jesus isn't in the boat. And I don't have to preach it at you. I don't have to point a finger. You probably know how incredibly difficult and hard it's been because you've tried to be a God to yourself. Tried to carry the stress of this life. Tried to carry the burdens of this world. And I just want you to know we were never made to carry those on our own. You were never made to live this life alone. And so if that's you, every head is bowed. If you say, that's me, I've never made that decision. I've never allowed Jesus to take control of my life. I've never surrendered to him. I want you to know you can fix that before you go. And right now you can make a decision that would change not only the course of your life, but the course of eternity. That right now you can surrender to him. That you can resign from being the God of your life. As you probably noticed, you're a pretty lousy God to begin with. And so I just want to offer that to you. I'm not going to make you stand up. I'm not going to make you come to the front. I'm not in this thing to embarrass you in any way. I want to introduce you to Jesus. And the Bible says if you choose to make that exchange, you surrender your life to him. You pray that prayer. You repent of your sins. Bible says he will make you a new creation. If the old passes away, the new has come. God will step into your life. He'll make the old brand new. He'll set you free. He'll forgive your sins. Right now, you can make that decision. Disciples made all the wrong choices. have made every wrong decision in your life you might be thinking about them right now well I did this and I did that and so the pastor knew about that then he wouldn't actually tell me Jesus loved me if he just knew about that then he put me out on the street if they just knew about that there's no way God could possibly listen to me the Bible says you the Bible says you you have the chance at salvation 
You are the object of God's love. You are the reason Jesus gave his life on the cross. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've come from. I don't care what you walked through. I don't care what the things. I don't care about the thoughts or the actions or the things you did. The blood of Jesus can wash you clean. But right now you have to make a decision. You can walk out of the doors, not make a single change in your life. I don't know where life takes you. Just know right now you have a chance to make a decision. And we would love to pray this prayer with you. Our church has dedicated itself to pray this prayer. Nobody prays alone. Right now you want to be forgiven of your sins. You want your eternity secure in his hands. You want him to make you brand new. Right now pray this with us. Say these words. Say, Jesus, forgive me of all of my sin, of all my mistakes. I repent. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again. I make you Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. My God, right now we run to you. God, I thank you for every person here. We all are in stormy seasons of life. We thank you that you have never left the boat. You never leave or forsake us. That you are not worried about the outcome because you hold the universe in your hands. And so today, Jesus, we run to you. When we're in desperate situations, God, we run to you. When we are in the midst of a storm, God, we thank you. We can look to you, fixing our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. God, I pray you would give us the ability to trust in you. And though your answer may not be what we want it to be, and though your timing may not be when we want it, we resign ourselves to the fact that your ways are perfect, that you do care for us, that you are committed, and that your promises are always true. We thank you, God your ways are perfect your timing is perfect we love you and we give you all of the thanks and the glory it's in Jesus name that we pray and all God's church said amen and amen come on church can we give God praise for what he's done today